News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Macias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change that our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Guys, our sponsor for today's show is Patriot Academy. PatriotAcademy.com. You have heard me talk about this organization, but um, this truly is, for many students, a life-altering event. Um, I cannot tell you how many 16, 17, 18, 20, 25-year-olds that have gone to this leadership program and come out with an entirely new direction for their life. You can go to patriotacademy.com to find out where they do these events, but essentially they take these students and they go through a week of being a legislator. They actually debate in the in the Texas House of Representatives, in the uh, Delaware House of Representatives, Idaho House of Representatives. It's an incredible experience. I have been involved with them. I believe in what they do. In fact, if you contact them and tell them that you heard about them through the Luke Macias show, I will contribute toward your uh, fee of actually attending. If you know a student that needs to go, that needs direction for their life, they're going to have an opportunity to learn about worldview, about free market economics, about the values that hold society together, and they're going to have an opportunity to be equipped to be a part of making the change that our community, our state, our nation need. So patriotacademy.com. We're grateful for their willingness to sponsor this podcast, and we also want to encourage each and every one of you to check them out. Please do so today. Welcome to the Luke Macias Show. This is your host, Luke Macias, with my co-host, Raz Schaefer, coming to you with your news update. Just a reminder to our listeners, every other week we have a sit-down interview um, with somebody who matters to the future of Texas or issues that matter to the future of Texas, and then every other week we give a quick update. I will be giving an update from a Texas news and politics and policy side, and Raz will be giving you a couple quick federal issues. I want to start off this week talking about House Bill 2. This is the property tax reform package with which Dennis Bonin, Dan Patrick, Greg Abbott all have lined up in unison on and unity with. Uh, there are a lot of taxpayer-funded lobbyists and tax um, authorities, tax collectors, who have been opposing this legislation. This week we had the Texas House have its first hearing in the Ways and Means Committee on House Bill 2. They heard an entire day of testimony, some from taxpayers and some from lobbyists being paid by tax collectors to oppose the legislation. Again, just to reiterate what House Bill 2 does, for those of you who are paying property taxes, this would cap what your taxes could be raised annually by 2.5% by any property taxing entity. If they wanted to go over 2.5%, it would trigger a rollback election, which would mean that voters would have to participate and vote on whether or not they believe that their taxes should go up. There are a lot of doom and gloom uh, predictions out there. The Texas Municipal League would have you believe that you will all live in ghost towns and none of you will have police officers if this legislation passes. But the reality is that if your city is literally in a position where a 2.5% increase in their current property tax base will still leave them short of what they need to keep their police officers paid and their roads paved, then they will be able to come to you, the voter, and tell you that the basic needs of the city are not going to be able to be met. And if you trust your local officials, you will then be able to vote in support of a property tax increase beyond 2.5%. House Bill 2 was heard in the Texas House. It's moving forward. At the end of the day, the Texas Senate has passed it out of its committee, but currently it's being held up. One would assume that there are not the votes to pass 
the 2.5% cap in the Texas Senate currently, but the lieutenant governor is very committed to this legislation, and one would hope that that legislation will see the light of day both out of both chambers and going on to the governor's desk. It was an interesting day um, when House Bill 2 was being set up because the taxpayer-funded lobbyists were split on where they would spend their time because they could either be over testifying uh, against property tax payers and for the property tax collectors, or they could be over in state affairs testifying against House Bill 281, which also received a hearing. Mays Middleton, the newly elected state representative from Galveston and Chamber Counties, ran on a platform where he opposed taxpayer-funded lobbying. Now, let me explain what that is real quick for those of you who don't know. But at the end of the day, your local tax collecting agencies will collect your property taxes. They will then hire out high-powered lobbyists in Austin, and they will tell them, use your time opposing any property tax reform measures. And so those lobbyists are being paid with your money to tell legislators that you do not have a property tax problem and that we don't have a property tax problem and that you can continue to have your property taxes increased six, seven, eight percent every single year, and you'll be just fine. Mays Middleton filed legislation that would ban that practice and say that taxpayer money may not be used to pay high-powered lobbyists in Austin to oppose taxpayer uh, protections. And so that legislation also received a hearing on that same day. This is uh, legislation that Governor Abbott has voiced public support for in the past prior to the session. And conservatives are looking, hopefully, at this legislation continuing to move through the process. Also, this week, it was brought to light. Uh, the Texas Legislative Council released the election results broken down by House districts. Um, this brings a sobering reminder to Republicans that we cannot be asleep at the wheel come 2020, and here's why. At the end of the day, we have an eight-seat majority in the Texas House of Representatives right now, which means we're really nine seats away from losing the majority to the Democrats come 2020. The sobering reality is that there were nine legislative seats in the Texas House of Representatives in which Beto O'Rourke won the district against Ted Cruz, but the Republicans maintain that seat. Those include, include Representative Steve Allison, Lynn Stuckey, Rick Miller, Jeff Leach, Matt Shaheen, Dwayne Bohack, Angie Chen Button, Morgan Meyer, and Sarah Davis. These are nine Republican state representatives that represent districts now that Beto O'Rourke won. So those, of course, provide the top targets for Democrats going into 2020. There are a number of other seats which were close enough for Democrats to definitely target come next year. And I think you will see that Democrats in the state house are going to target 12 to 13 to 14 rep Republican state representatives that they hope to defeat in 2020. If conservatives do not get out and vote, they could very well see Democrats take the majority in the Texas House of Representatives. That also gets us into the Texas Senate, where we have three Republican senators currently there who represent districts that Beto O'Rourke won. One is Angela Paxton, the second is Joan Huffman, and the third is Pete Flores. Luckily, Angela Paxton and Joan Huffman are not up for re-election until 2022. But Pete Flores is up for re-election in 2020, and his seat was won by Beto O'Rourke by more than 14 percentage points. You might ask yourself, how is he there if Beto O'Rourke won by that big a margin? And the truth is that he won in a special election in which voter turnout was significantly lower, and conservatives were engaged and showed up to vote. At the end of the day, there are going to be a lot of people voting in November, and they're going to be coming out to vote on the presidential election. That's not going to bode well for Republicans in Senate District 19. The likelihood of us holding on to this seat is low, 
though uh, I wouldn't put it at 0%. I would just say that it's lower than we would like. So we have to recognize that this legislative session may be the last time until 2023 that we don't need Democrat votes. We are one vote away. If we lose Pete Flores' seat, then next legislative session, there will have to be a Democrat senator to support any legislation that passes the Texas Senate. Conservatives need to ask themselves right now what we intend to accomplish, knowing that this may be the last legislative session until 2023, that we only need Republican support to pass that policy. And that gets us into the biggest question that Republicans, conservatives, legislators are asking themselves in the Capitol building right now. You have so many conversations happening about whether or not we should try to advance conservative policy with these type of numbers that we're looking at. When you consider the fact that Beto O'Rourke did so well and Democrats are energized, should we as conservatives try to pass conservative policy or should we hold back? Should we hold back our ammunition until after the 2020 elections so that we can draw the maps through the redistricting process in 2021? Democrats have always historically seemed to be more motivated to pass their policy than get reelected. It is a real question that conservatives, I think, have to start asking themselves every single day. Why did Democrats in 2009 feel so confident in passing Obamacare, even though they knew that it would have significant electoral consequences to them? They made that decision. Obamacare remains law of the land today. The government is in significantly more control of our health care than it ever was. And Republicans, even though we had electoral victories in the future did not use that power to actually roll that legislation back. Government is hard to decrease. It's easy to increase. When we have power in the Texas House, the Texas Senate, and across the statewide spectrum, the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we taking advantage of that? Are we advancing as much conservative policy as possible? We have less than 90 days to go in the legislative session. Conservatives' hopes should continue to remain high, but we also must continue to remind our legislators that we need them fighting for us and advancing our conservative values. And with that, Raz, tell us about what's happening on the federal level. Well, I'm going to lead off with some news about Beto O'Rourke, since you were covering him a little bit as far as the Texas election results. And the first thing is there, so he's not running for president yet. So this last week, more and more buzz is coming out. He actually said he confirmed he's not going to be running against incumbent Senator John Cornyn in the yep. 2020 race. Uh, it's sounding more and more like he may jump in. I honestly, on a personal level, I think that's a bad strategic move. But hey, the water seems to be ripe and he's doing pretty, pretty well in a lot of these straw polls that are coming out. So it's uh, it seems increasingly likely that he will announce an official presidential run or exploratory committee something kind of at least tiptoeing more and more into that water. Uh, the buzz is really, really good for fundraising, and he's really enjoying all that attention, and it's great yep. for his brand. So Beto is uh, not running yet. Second, uh, a lot of people were following this yesterday uh, as of our recording when Michael Cohen testified before the U.S. House representatives talking about President Trump and their relationship and the the cover-up money as far as paying the uh, the the mistress or whatever you want to call him that President Trump was having an affair with to not come out before the presidential election. Uh, a couple of things that were there is one, nothing new came out of that. Uh, a lot of people nationwide were wrapped. Anybody who wasn't uh, watching Joe Rogan and Alex Jones was watching Michael Cohen and that uh, I split my attention personally because I thought they were both kind of crazy. But Michael Cohen, he didn't provide any new information. 
it was really brought exclusively by the Democrats to embarrass the president, uh, which because there was nothing new, I'm not sure how much more embarrassment it brought. Uh, but interestingly enough, I was listening to Eric Erickson's coverage of it, and it's uh, there's kind of a double-edged sword in why this wasn't illegal. So there's in election law, there's actually a point that says basically if you have a longstanding pattern of behavior, that if you continue that, that it's not a breach of election law to do that through your campaign. Well, in President Trump's case, as a negative on his character record, he has actually made a longstanding or on several several cases, he has done the same thing to keep women from coming out before in order in that time damaging his business reputation and, and brand. So because he's done this before, it's not illegal in the current situation. At least that's what many election law attorneys are saying. So it's uh, it's a disappointment on the character side. Frankly, nothing new. But uh, it does not appear that anything new came out in Cohen's testimony that says that anything the president did in this situation was illegal. One of the things it did do was it pulled a little bit of attention off the North Korea summit. So there's a lot of news coming out as far as Trump walking away and difference. Uh, you would imagine some different opinions from con coming out of North Korea and the president as far as why and what the exact point of differentiation was. I actually think it's really, really good that the president was willing to walk away here. There was a lot of concern among conservatives and folks that are following national security and the situation in North Korea because they were worried that he, in a uh, very much President Obama-like move, might take a deal. He just might focus on getting a deal of some sort and signing yep. something coming out of that, that, uh, that situation with North Korea. And what that would have meant was that we probably took a bad deal, that we rewarded small amounts of denuclearization with a very large amounts of the reduction of the sanctions that we have on them. And as it turned yep. out, uh, Kim Jong-un, he asked for way too much reduction, and at least all of the, the ones that President Trump has put in, in place as far as sanctions. And President Trump said, sorry, we can't do it. I'm honestly really excited, and most folks that I'm following on the national stage are also very happy that the president said, hey, no deal is better than a bad deal. So we're still in negotiations with them. The summit is over, and we didn't get a bad deal. So I, I count that as a win. Number four is that the Democrats finally rolled out their medical care for all plan this, this week. We talked about a couple weeks ago that they were talking about it but had no plan. Now they have a quote-unquote plan, but they have no plan to pay for it, which in my book still amounts to no plan. They literally do not have yep. a single funding provision or talk about how they're going to pay for this in their entire plan. So half the House Dems are signed on to this as, as co-sponsors. Notably, what two of the things that you need to know about it. One, it ensures that there is zero competition with the government. It outlaws any insurance plan that duplicates or would give the same type of coverage that any part of the government plan would be. It eliminates all types of current government funding, or, uh, government Medicare, Medicaid, TRICARE, all these different uh, current government-funded insurance programs, and it basically outlaws private insurance. Furthermore, it makes it to where doctors, they can't do government insurance plus cash pay. You would have to basically, as a doctor, you would have to either be 100% on the cash pay side or 100% on the Medicare for all side, which is going to take a lot of opportunity for doctors to stay in business and provide the type of care they believe their patients need. That means it's beyond them. And that you really will have a 100% two-tier class between the people that can afford the concierge cash pay medicine for doctors that will give them exactly what they need and those that are forced onto the government roles. And lastly, the uh, tax refunds are rising. So 
at coming out of the last month or so, as tax refund checks started to go out at the beginning of this year in January and early February, uh, liberals made big news talking about how the tax refund checks for Americans were going down. And they really wanted to use that as an indictment against the, the President Trump's tax cut bill, saying, hey, you know, we're, we're not giving back nearly as much money as we did last year. Well, there's two points in that. First of all is the Treasury Department has recently come out and said, uh, by the way, now that we're looking at the you know, more data, instead of a small data set, we're looking at two months now, we're actually seeing that tax refunds are marginally about 1.5% higher than they were on average in 2018. So they're, all their hoopla is, is now moot. But second, and what conservatives pointed out when these headlines first started coming out, is that's a really bad way to measure the effectiveness of, <laughs> of a tax reform. Because the, you giving less of a long-term interest-free loan to the government, which is what your prepayment of taxes is, doing less of that is a good thing. And so we had the smaller refund check actually meant, in some cases, that people were giving less money to the government as an interest-free loan. So on both those fronts, the, the Trump tax cuts are proving to be positive for the American people, and that's what you need to know on the federal government side. Oh, thanks for that, Raz. And I, I do always take advantage of this. Uh, I want to take advantage of this one second to, to give one of my big pet peeves, which is that most people, when they get a tax refund, get really excited, right? <laughs> they just go, I'm getting four grand. I'm getting what? I'm like, guys, let's just do a little bit of lessons here. Uh, you know, let's have a basic understanding that if the government is sending you money back, it means that you gave the government money that they never should have taken. That's all it means, okay? They're not handing it out. It 100%. means there was money that you should not have had taken out of your paycheck. And you know what? You should meet with your employer and adjust all of your payroll deductions so that you're not giving that money next year, so that you have that money in your pocket. At the end of the day, guess what? If you're smart with your investments, if you take time to think about what you're doing to make your money work for you, then you should have that money come back to you on a monthly basis. You should take that money and you should deploy it either to invest in your family, invest in your future, set aside for retirement, uh, pay down more debt, whatever it is that you need to do. So if you're getting a tax return, uh, please consider what you're doing with that. And secondarily, try to set yourself up this year for not having the government take that money originally. So anyways, that is going to wrap up our update for today. Thank you, Raz, for your time. Guys, uh, please continue to engage with the podcast. If you have not reviewed us, if you have not rated the podcast, please do that. That helps us with the algorithm. Raz, if somebody wants to follow you, where can where can they follow you? Go to raz.us. If it's my website, you can uh, give me a shout, shoot me an email, find out more about me, and I look forward to talking to you guys. Of course, y'all can visit lukemacias.com to subscribe to our email alerts and engage with us further with our content. You can follow me on Twitter at LukeMacias.tx. Also, Raz and I just want to give you all a quick, uh, couple quick sources of places that we go to on a regular basis. I've mentioned on the federal level, uh, I still think if you're not following Chip Roy on Twitter, you should. Um, I think he's a phenomenal uh, resource. I think you should go to the Texas Scorecard, Empower Texans, Texas Scorecard. Um, Dot com, which is a phenomenal uh, regular weekly daily updates on what's happening in the Texas legislature. Raz, what are some of the federal uh, websites that you visit on a regular basis? So one other congressman you want to follow is Dan Crenshaw, former Navy SEAL and yep. fellow freshman representative out of Texas with Chip Roy. 
As far as on the news side, I get daily email alerts from the Daily Signal, which is the uh, the press side of the Heritage Foundation. I follow the Resurgent.com with Eric Erickson. I also do Empower Text and Scorecard. I also look at uh, Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire. Those are the ones that come to my inbox every day, read every single one of them, and I think you guys will get some great info by doing those free subscriptions. Thank you so much, Raz. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messias Show. If you value this content and want our message to spread, please consider three of the following steps. One, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on and leave us a review. Two, visit lukemessias.com and sign up for our email alerts. And three, follow Raz and I on Twitter and visit my Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Thank you so much and God bless.